we are, we are in a series taking a break from the book of 1 Corinthians in our series this uh, December called Jesus. And we looked at each one of these four things the last several weeks. We looked at life and light. And this morning we will focus on the nature of what John said as I'm about to read in John 1, that he is the Lamb of God. I'm going to read verses 29 through 34 um, really focusing on verse 29, and I just want to read it for context here, but we'll really just be honing in on this, our theme verse for the week, verse 29. This is what it says, as John the Baptist is, is starting his ministry of going forth and preparing the way. This is what it says. The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. I want you to pray. I want you to pray that you would hear. If you could pray something today, I would just pray, whether you know Christ or whether you don't personally, that you would pray that you hear the gospel ringing loud and clear in your heart today. You pray that, and I will pray for us collectively. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for this time of year where we can come and gather and rejoice and sing, and yet our hearts are often distracted with many things. And so I pray today especially that we would know so very clearly what Jesus came to this earth for, that we would hear the gospel ringing really loudly and clearly in our hearts that Jesus came with an intent to save sinners and redeem so that they would know you, that we could know you through the power of what he did at the cross, that he truly is the Lamb of God, the Son of God, who takes away the sins of the world. May you be glorified and honored. May you stir our hearts today, we pray. And all of this thing, all these things we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, So each week I've looked at a verse. Today is verse 29 in chapter 1. And we've also said uh, kind of a phrase each week that helps us remember. And so just by way of review quickly, uh, the last two weeks we've said this, that Jesus came as life to give his life so that you and I could walk in the newness of life. And then last week we looked at light. We said Jesus came as light to shine his light so that you and I could walk in light. And today we will focus in on the nature of him being the Lamb of God. And so each week I've invited a, a child up to uh, open a present. So Wyatt, I think you're back there somewhere. Uh, Wyatt is going to help me with this one to come and open a gift. Uh, we opened this box, this game of life the first week. And last, last week the light, the lantern. But this week we have this for Wyatt to open in front of us. What do you, any guesses on what you think it is? A lamb. A lamb. All right. I wouldn't go at it that way. I would flip it. How are you going to do this Christmas? All right. Is it a lamb? It's a knife. Oh, stand up and show them. It's a knife. 
Now go ahead and open it up. No, like, on that, I just wanted to see if your mom would freak out. No. <laughs> actually, we, I actually picked, I picked Wyatt because we could open it up. Wyatt's a hunter there. I'm not going to let you hold it. I'm going to get scolded for that. What, can I ask you, though, why do you think it's a knife? If this week we're looking at Jesus as a lamb, why do you think a knife? you have any ideas? All right, well, we'll find out then. Good enough. Thanks, Wyatt. Jesus came as a sinless lamb to take on sin as a sacrificial lamb so that by the blood of the lamb, you and I could be free from sin. Now, you have to think about this. Why did Jesus, or why did John give Jesus that title, the Lamb of God? We know the scriptures and we think, oh, well, that makes sense. But I want you to picture him right now. Picture John the Baptist standing at the bank there of the Jordan River, and he sees Jesus coming towards him, and he looks at him. And we, again, we read the Bible with this like loose, like, yeah, that's what it says. Picture John standing there in this moment in the first century, looking at Jesus and proclaiming that. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now you have to, then from that moment that you hear that, you have to kind of all of us, we should time warp back to thousands of years before that moment, not millions and billions of years like the scientists would say, but we have to go back to understand the nature of God's sacrificial system to deal with sin. You see, in context, these people hearing that for the first time, it was remarkable that he would give him such a title. The concept of a sacrificial lamb was a familiar one to the Jewish people. God had revealed clearly that sin and separation from him could only be removed from blood sacrifices. That's the only way it could be done. And we know that Exodus, we mentioned far earlier than that, we've talked about this before, after man was created and walked in the garden, we see this all the way back in the beginning in Genesis, right? Not Exodus. Man sins against God by rebellion and disobedience to his word and choosing to fulfill his own fleshly desires. And I mention that specifically because that is, is what sin is. Sometimes I feel like I need to re remind us, what is sin? It's when we rebel against God's word and disobey and choose ourselves our own fleshly will and desires. And so Adam did that, Eve did that in the garden, and they disobeyed and they sinned against God. And it is the problem of our sin and the pride that caused this punishment and separation with God. And so he punishes, right? We know the story. God punishes man in the garden and he doles out the curses first to the man, then the woman, and then Satan who tempted him towards sin. And then you get to verse 21 in chapter 3. And after he sinned, and he's cursed, the curses have gone out. He says this, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. You see, friends, they were naked and unashamed in the garden before sin. And now they're naked and ashamed before God because of sin. And you and I can relate to that in our sin, right? Because what does sin often produce? Shame. And so here they are before God. They recognize their nakedness in the garden and they recognize the separation. They hide themselves. God comes and he says, where are you? And he approaches them 
And they recognize that this relationship has been severed. And so what does God do? He clothes them. And not with leaves, but with skins. And where did he get those? Think about that. The first evidence of God's grace and sacrifice in the Bible. Something had to die in order for that sin to be atoned for. Forgiveness needed to be made, and the only way that that could be made was by bloodshed. And God took the garments of animal skins and he clothed them. Fast forward to Genesis 22 and you get what probably one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, if you're collecting all the years that I've ever said, probably my favorite chapter in the Bible, Genesis 22, and you get another picture of God's provision as Abraham, we know the story, right, takes Isaac and, and up to the mountain because God tells him this in verse 2 there in 22, I want you to take your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering, as one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Sounds okay, right? Take your, your son, the one that you've been waiting for, the promised seed, and, and go and sacrifice him. That's what he's telling Abraham to do. And so we know he does that. And Abraham does, what's the crazier part about that story, is Abraham actually does what God says, right? Obedience. He doesn't want to sin against him, disobedience. He goes and does what he says. And then it says this in verses 6 through 8. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Now at this point in the story, Abraham, sorry, some of you get nervous with me and this knife, right? I just, I'm, I'm aware of me holding it too. It's not going to fly out. All right. Some like at this point in the story, like Abraham thinks he has to go through with this, as, as the verse we just read. And he says, God will provide. And you know what happens is Abraham raises the knife into the air to sacrifice his own son. He doesn't want to disobey God. And the angel stops his hand. This test of faith has been completed. And in Genesis twenty-two thirteen. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket, not by chance, coincidence by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son, a substitute. And then you get to the book of Exodus. Fast forward, and you get the picture of the sacrificial lamb God asks for from the children of Israel after they fleed Egypt, you're going to be released the Passover, Right? In Exodus 12, verse 21, it says this, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Fast forward a few verses and you get to 26. And when your children say to you, What did you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped another substitute in our place. If you fast forward past Exodus a little bit more, you get the giving of the law, Bible history today. Into Leviticus 16, you get a picture of what Israel is now commanded to do, and there's something that has to repeat over and over and over and over for sins, the day of atonement. 
This is something that's just continued year and year by the priests over and over. And you get to Leviticus 16.6, and Aaron, the high priest, again a knife, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Aaron has to do this to take animals, make atonement for himself, the priest, and his house. And then the next step in that is he has to make atonement for the people and their sins. And he does this by taking the blood of the bull, and then he gathers two goats, verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 7. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So he gathers two goats, and he's going to sacrifice the bull, and then he's going to sacrifice one of those goats and sprinkle the blood of the goat for the sinner offering to God, verse 15 in Leviticus 16. Then he shall take shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat in the tabernacle, right? And in front of the mercy seat. So Aaron has to sacrifice, make atonement for the people's sins. But then this, he takes the other goat. There's a goat that he sacrifices as a sin offering to God, but he takes the other goat. And I think this is really important to understand, again, what John was saying. Remember, there's two. The second one is the scapegoat. And we all know that in our culture, right? The scapegoat is who we call that takes all the blame on himself when something bad happens. We need a scapegoat, right? And so Aaron takes the other goat, which would be referred to as the scapegoat, and he brings that in and he puts his hands on top of the goat's head. And he basically transfers all the sins of the people symbolically onto the head of this other goat. And he puts all the sins of all the children of Israel on the goat's head, and then he sends that goat away into the wilderness. Think about how remarkable that is. He places his hands, in verses 20 through 22 we see that, when he had made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities Just think about that for a second. Confess all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on himself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. He places the sin of the people on the goat and sends it away. Think about that. The innocent goat, right? I'm sure he didn't do so bad in life takes that which he did not do and he takes it on himself and then he's sent away. All the sins of the people. If you are back in the Old Testament living as a child of Israel, all the bad things you did in the week leading up to that and all the weeks leading up to that, all of your bad attitudes and actions, think about it in context of this morning. All of your bad attitudes and actions of just this morning, all of the grumbling and complaining and the words that you threw out at others, maybe in your own house this morning, and all your ways that you came into this building today with your heart not in a right place, and even that little thing you just did in your heart towards me for saying and judging you out loud about that. Think about those things. And the priest took all of that and symbolically placed it on the head of the goat, and he sent it away. I'm just, I'm asking you not to think about yesterday. I'm just saying, think about your own morning full of your heart and sin. And he takes all those days and he confesses all that and puts it on and he sends it away. And it's made right again. 
Sin is atoned for for the time being until the next time. Now go back to the banks of the Jordan River. Picture John standing in the Jordan proclaiming that Jesus is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Wow. None of the previous sacrifices up to that point were sufficient enough to to do that for all time. They had to keep being repeated. They always had to be repeated. And then Jesus comes along and he looks, and John looks at him coming towards him and he said, he, he's the one. Think about how remarkable that is. For us, this just doesn't make as much sense as it ought to because we didn't live in Israel. We weren't children that had to go through those steps of offering, but I would argue that many today in our culture still do that, go through steps of having to confess to a priest or having to atone for our sin in some other way or having to work it off through volunteerism or serving. Some way we still do that. We just don't think about it like that as much. And Jesus comes along and John sees him and he says, he's the one. He's the one. Behold the Lamb of the world. God is going to place his hands on his head and he's going to send him to the cross. He's going to put all of your sin and my sin on him and he's going to shoulder all of that. You read about that prophecy we just said, Isaiah. He's going to shoulder all that and he's going to put the government on his shoulders. He's going to take all of this stuff of the world. He's going to put it on his shoulders. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die for it and he's going to take it away and he's going to rise victoriously over it and it's going to be gone forever. That's big. That's Christmas big. That's the whole point. It's not the gifts. We know that. I'm not up here to remind. That's, that's big when we celebrate this season. And the most helpful verse in the Bible that I think helps us understand what that is is when Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, he writes about what is really meant in Christ's coming. This is like for me the new Christmas verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made him who knew no sin. He put sin on him so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus came to inaugurate his kingdom. He came to fulfill prophecy. He came to show the glimpses. If you read through the Gospels, which you ought to, he showed the glimpses of all these miracles of healing, and restoring and opening the eyes of the blinds. Something, all these glimpses of miracles, something we can look forward to one day when Jesus returns, when we go to him. But his mission was clear since day one when he lay in that manger, right? As a helpless little baby. It's why we read what was pronounced, what Fiona read in Matthew 1. The angel proclaims to Joseph, give him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. He didn't come just to heal the blind. He didn't come just to restore the poor. He didn't come to to fix all the problems of the world. He didn't come to restore America and make it great again. He didn't do all of that stuff. He came to save his people from their sins. That's what he did. And he came to live a perfectly obedient life as a perfect lamb spotless. He never sinned. He is not like us. And his purpose was to be the lamb, the lamb that took on sin. He who had no sin come become sin for us, for our sake, that in him, by faith, through Christ, we are pronounced righteous. Do you get that? That's what Jesus did. It was a transfer. Our sin went on him. His righteousness went on us who place our faith in him. 
We forget about a thing like that this time of year. That Jesus came as a sinless lamb to take on sin as a sacrificial lamb so that by the blood of the lamb, you and I could be free from sin. Friends, we thanked God for the gift of life two weeks ago, and last week we thanked him that he is our light, and today we praise him that he is our God, and we think of this item, and we thank him for this, which represents bloodshed, right? Why? Because it's atoning bloodshed. Because Hebrews 9.22 makes it clear, and it'll be up on the screen, makes it quite clear that bloodshed needs to happen in order for forgiveness to take place. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That is the only way out of the mess we're in. It was the only way out of the mess that Adam and Eve were in, and ultimately fulfilled in Christ. The only way out of the mess you and I are in. We need forgiveness. And so to make this clear, as I close, I just want us to consider four things that you can take away and just consider the nature of Christ being the lamb. And I think it's helpful to note these four things about the lamb that helped us practically. It helps us understand what has actually happened so that we can have confidence in faith and go out and live in that faith and walk in it. So consider the first, the, the four things I'll show you, the source, consider the source, significant scope, and sufficiency. First, just consider the source. This is a gift from God to you. Who provided this? Only God, not us, from him freely. He initiated and always has initiated towards us first. Even in our own verse, John says, Jesus is coming towards him. You see that in the verse. Look, Jesus is coming towards him, and he proclaims he's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. This is huge. It was a gift from God, initiated by God for you. And it's important to understand why. Because knowing this keeps us from all the religious activity that you and I make up. All the stuff that we think that we can earn God's favor. And it keeps us from horrible theology to think that we are somehow good enough that this could actually happen on our own. God provided it. He did it for Abraham. He provided it in Christ for us. We couldn't. We simply couldn't provide our own atonement. It's a gift. It's simple. Consider the source. The second thing, consider the significance. The lamb takes away sin. We need to know how important this is. We need reaffirmation, gospel reaffirmation. Every day of our lives, we need to wake up and remember the significance of what Christ has done. Not just at Christmas time. We need to do this every day. How many of us, why? Because how many of us struggle under the survival for survival, rather, beneath the crushing burden of guilt. We do this all the time, right? Think about the worst thing you've ever done. Some of that still haunts you in your life right now. And we struggle under the weight of that guilt. Some of you wade in it daily, and you cannot forgive yourselves. I've met, I, sat, I sit with people all the time. I don't know, like, I just can't forgive myself. I, maybe that's my... You're right. You can't. Good news, you needn't worry about that because Christ has done that. Christ has been born for all of us. He says today, from Mark 2.5, today, son or daughter, your sins are forgiven. In Hebrews 10.17, your sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. Consider the significance of what Christ has done. He takes that away. Thirdly, consider the world, the, the scope, the world. Who's it for? 
John tells us, for the sins of the world. A word about that, John uses this word cosmos, world. We know that from John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, the cosmos, everyone, right? But a word about that, Jesus' death and sacrifice on the cross is while sufficient for everyone in the world, it is really only effectual for those who savingly believe in him. In other words, this, God knows who will trust in him by faith because he's God. And therefore, he knows who will be saved. The Bible calls these the elect. It's just important to note that because, listen, this verse, while it says world, simply does not teach universalism. It doesn't teach that everybody goes to heaven. We know this can't be true because the Bible actually says that people will reject God and those that are saved will actually be fewer. The wide road, but narrow is the gate. And so it says world, it's for the world, it's for all peoples of all nations, of all tribes, of all tongues, but not all believe. So consider the scope. It's a gift, it's significant, and it's for anyone to respond to by faith. And then finally, consider its sufficiency. And friends, I want to end here because this is a struggle for many. This is our real struggle of people of faith. We don't think it's always sufficient enough. For those who believe and are saved, we simply cannot understand this enough. Why does it tell us? It tells us that without exception, every sin, every kind of evil that you've ever been a part of is covered. There is no sin too heinous, no wickedness too terrible, no habitual failure. Listen to this. You know that sin that you keep repeating over and over and you just can't shake and you want to shake but you just keep running back to and you know it's wrong, that's habitual failure. There's no habitual failure too often repeated that it cannot be taken away by Christ our Lamb. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And friends, that's a thing that we can repeat and do but when we place our faith, that's a one-time thing that we need to do in Jesus. Hebrews 10, as I close, tells us that Christ's sacrifice is once and for all. Listen to this verse, completely sufficient. Hebrews 10.10. 10. And by that, all that we've talked about this morning, all that referenced in Hebrews 10, we'll have, we have been sanctified through the authoring of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's it. Nothing more needed, no more church attendance that you could do well enough, no more confessing to the priest or pastor well enough that you could do, no more volunteer hours logged that you could do. It doesn't, those are things that we can do out of gratitude, but it doesn't need to happen for that. It's one payment once and for all. That's it. And so we have this confidence in Hebrews 10 later when it says this, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. We can have a great confidence that Christ died in our place, that his death was sufficient, 
to stand before God forgiven sin, taken away from us, placed on the lamb, and as if God, again, placed his two hands on Christ and sent him away and said, it is finished, right? Permanently dealt with so that we could be free from that and walk in the newness of life, life in the kingdom of God's presence forever. Jesus came as a sinless lamb to take on sin as a sacrificial lamb so that by the blood of the lamb you could be free from sin. Jesus came to this earth with purpose. That's what we celebrate. It's from God to take away our sin, offered to everyone, and it's completely sufficient to deal with all our sin. You need nothing else. And friends, my heart today is you can go from this place and you can go and sit down in like 25 minutes and you can watch a football game. And I know it's there. You knew I knew it. And you can go do that. I'm not saying to go do that. But if you walk out of this place and you forget what Christ has done, you're missing it. If you're going to trade that entertainment and football for, do I understand the gospel? What Jesus has done in my place. That's what I want you to leave here today with. So let me just close with this, which is just a brief hymn, three stanzas of a hymn from a great writer, Isaac Watts. He wrote Joy to the World, and I'll pray for us. This is what he says. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Believing... We rejoice to see the curse remove. We bless the Lamb with cheerful voice and sing his wondrous love. I want to pray for us. Let's pray. Amen. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That is the truth that we all need to know about this Christmas. May you have a blessed day. Go in peace. You are sent. Amen.